Hello, everyone, and welcome again to our series of podcasts on our HP Systems platform and its um, journey to the cloud, to the public cloud. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Tony Fishbeck, who's been involved since the very early days of the platform. We are talking about 20 years ago plus. I think you might want to mistake me for someone else. No, <laughs> <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> yeah, he, he's been instrumental uh, in uh, so many aspects of the, uh, um, the design and development of HPCC over these uh, last two decades. Um, and as uh, you know, HPCC doesn't look anything like it was 20 years ago. Um, and a big part of that credit goes to Tony. So uh, we, I want to have Tony here. I wanted to uh, have him tell us what he's now working on. He's been very active, um, adding a number of capabilities um, in HPCC. Many of those have to do with the journey to the cloud. Some of those have to do with improving uh, the way dynamic ESDL works. And you're probably familiar with this from previous releases and, and, and features that you probably use as well. So I don't think you, Tony needs any more introduction. Hey, Tony, how are you doing? Hey, Thank Flavio, you doing great. How are you? Thank you it's for being here. It's good to be here. So, Tony, tell us a little bit of what you're doing um, on HPCC nowadays. What's what's your your core um, uh, areas of, of interest and what is that you're working on actively? Well, so, of course, you, you, as everyone knows, we're, we're, there's a big effort right now to get uh, the HPCC to run in containerized cloud-based environments, uh, Kubernetes, using Helm as the sort of the packaging um, manager for our processes um, for our clusters. And uh, so I've been focusing on, uh, part of my time has been focusing on that as well. Um, I've been changing the way sort of we configure, for instance, ESP applications um, so that uh, it's much more streamlined. You can basically, in the bare metal environments we used to, um, you know, for instance, uh, deploy very complex ESPs because they, they weren't changing over time. So we'd have, you know, 10 different configurations on one process, um, 10 different running on 10 different ports, um, but all different combinations of services and, and configurations and, and plugins and security and, and things like that. Um, so what I, but that required a lot of sort of, because it was static, it required a lot of sort of um, operational aspects of, of, of uh, running the config tool, setting everything up, um, deploying the configuration and just leaving it there until there were small changes, right? Um, that doesn't work in the cloud. And in fact, it doesn't take advantage of some of the aspects of the cloud. So I've been focusing on a sort of a new way of running and configuring ESP, identifying flavors of the application, sort of like for instance, ECL watch, um, is a particular configuration. It's it's consisting of like eight to ten services. It, it's not a simple configuration if you look internally, but to the external user, it's one thing and it's one a very simple um, configuration. So, for instance, uh, so I've been working on creating applications for ESP, and it's basically pre-configured um, uh, applications that you can very simply deploy. And if you uh, overriding a few things like the Dolly address and things like that. Um, you basically only change the things that you want to change. Everything else is defaulted. Oh, that's um, that's very interesting. So uh, these are some sort of, um, I don't want to steal the term, but applets for ESP where, or, or, or little uh, self-contained uh, components, functional components that you can deploy? 
Yes, so it takes it takes away all the complexity of deploying something that we already have. So what we that we deploy often, like uh, for instance, ECL Watch for the for the external user. We've separated now the internal, um, the same services, but for the internal, like for access from the various comp the, uh, cluster components, and we have something called ECL Services. So it's the same collection of services, no GUI, but it's meant for internal access so that we can lock it down, secure it better. Um, and it it'll scale differently than the than the ECO watch will, or separately than the ECO watch will. Um, we have uh, WSECL is now a, a service called uh, I mean an application called ECO queries. Um, we have WSSQL, which is an application called SQL to ECL. Just things like that, right? So we prepackage these things, and now it becomes very very easy. You can just um, basically um, Go to a command line, say run ESP as this application, and maybe you set the Dolly, Dolly IP or a couple other small little things, and it'll just start up and run. It makes it very, very easy to start up, especially in a containerized environment where all you are, you just want to override a few things. We have uh, um, the uh, Helm, Helm charts set up so that it just kicks off. Um, the default is to kick off one of each of those services I mentioned, or applications, I should say, that I mentioned. And all you do, all it does is sets the uh, in, the internal port, the external port, if there is, if it's accessible externally, um, and a few other things, um, and it very easily starts up. And it's really just all these all these applications are is really just uh, under a, a folder in the deployment. There's a, a a subfolder called with the application name and then a, a few YAML files, right? So it just grabs that. Um, loads up the configuration, changes whatever you've told it to change. You can you can do much more sophisticated. You know you can use YAML files to change the configuration if you if there's a lot of things you want to change, right? But generally, it's just a matter of uh, changing a couple things on the command line, and you're ready to go. So uh, theoretically, you can point all of these um, um, deployments to some GitHub, where you have your some code repository where you have your um, ESP um, application and maybe your uh, YAML files and maybe your Helm charts and uh, it will auto deploy from there. How, how does it work? It's a Absolutely. So I I don't imagine that most of the uh, the HPCC users out there in in the um, community will need to create their own applica ESP applications. This is a matter of we've defined the ones that most most people are going to need. You just if if you're using the default, like if you're trying to run it on Docker desktop. You start up the, um, you, you ins install the uh, the Helm chart, the default Helm chart. These just magically appear for you, right? Wow, I love yes. magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is really transforming the way that we deploy and, and work as developers with the HPCC. Um, this whole effort. I mean, it reminds me of when we converted to open source. It's like, it's not just um, open sourcing. It's not just going to the cloud. It's 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 sort of forcing you to rethink about certain things and to refactor certain mm -hmm. things that have been on the back of your mind in the past, but not only does it force you because of the timing, but there's so many, there's so much um, synergy out there, so much effort being put into making these things easier that you can really sort of sort of standardize and do it the same way other people are doing it and um, leverage their, you know, the various tools that are being produced out there. It, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a, it's a big change in terms of sort of the entire approach, right? Not just not just getting into the cloud. 
It's refactoring the way we operate, the way we function, the way we configure. So, but uh, now I, let me, I'm not trying to trivialize it, but at the core, ESP seems to be a, an application that is well suited to be uh, loaded and run in containers because it's stateless, it doesn't have any uh, data. Well, as far as I can think of it, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so um, it seems to me that uh, it's almost a natural fit for a container type deployment. So what are the real challenges there? When you started to think about containers, um, I don't know, things like auto scaling or, or fail, your tolerance or something other things are those real challenges there no um we've tried our hardest throughout the years to keep uh, our it's really up to the service to be state esp itself is stateless but it's up to the individual services to maintain that philosophy right and we've tried our best throughout the years for each service to do that in in-house we might have a few services that are stateful on purpose right we've decided that they need to be for some reason but but that is 99 percent of the case we're stateless. So it really is like, as you say, it really lends itself to that containerized model. Um, so there's not a lot we have to do to, uh, to enable that. You, you know, you have to determine the, the resources that's necessary, the scaling rules that are necessary for your individual service. And um, we, as I started to say before, we break up those services now. We don't put them into some monolithic process. We break them up so that they can scale independently. And uh, it's one of the easier, definitely one of the easier components to, uh, yeah. in terms of scaling, to figure out how it's going to work. So. Hey, uh, tell me a little bit about the security aspect. So as we move to the public cloud, certainly um, security is something that uh, is top of mind to pe of people today, not just because of all of recent events in the world um, and how uh, cybersecurity is becoming a determinant of success or failure of companies. And, sometimes in very large scale, right. but also because uh, the public cloud has different type of um, um, threat vectors, right? So, so it's not the same type of threat model that you would do in your own data center. So how are you coping with this? How is ESP adapting to this type of security model? Right, so um, when I talked about um, moving to the cloud and how it's not just about getting into the cloud and scaling properly and everything, it's really about rethinking how we deal with some of those issues like security, and um, it's about benefiting from, everyone else is going through the same issues, and there's so many people out there innovating around these exact topics. So um, we're really, um, in terms of security, there's a couple of aspects that we're looking at. Um, secrets management is one that uh, we've always sort of had a very proprietary sort of uh, heavy-handed mechanism for managing all of that. And there's so much synergy around that area that we've been, we're, that we're trying to take advantage of as we speak. Well, this is the kind so, of stuff so, I'm working on. So right inside you say, well, we shouldn't have invented the wheel at the time. Uh, if, you, if there is a wheel out there, let's use whatever is there. But unfortunately, the wheel wasn't there. So we need exactly. to invent the wheel in many cases because there was no exactly. wheel. Exactly. And it, so it really is a matter of uh, things are just, you know, we can we can take advantage of all those synergies. And it's just... It makes it so much um, secret management and uh, certificate authority, you know, certificate management are both things that uh, um, there's a lot of innovation out there that we can take advantage of. So for, for secrets, which is what, I, you know, one of the security related things I'm looking at now, um, we've got, we've, we're, we're taking advantage of Kubernetes secrets um, at that level. That's, there's sort of two levels of secrets, right? There's the system level secrets that appear uh, that get mounted on your pod 
and or or exposed through environment variables, but we're not going to do that. Um, uh, but get mounted on your pod and you can access them. They're managed outside. That's sort of system level, but then there's sort of the vault level or application level secrets that uh, that would be more for the users of your system to be able to expose. For instance, um, you write an, uh, a, a Roxy query that needs to call out to some gateway, like uh, you know some vendor gateway. Um, you need to manage those credentials or that connection string or whatever. Um, that's more likely to be done in something like a vault. And so we're looking at integrating all of those technologies. Um, yeah, I'm looking at creating, uh, well, first of all, integrating the uh, platform level, the system level secrets. For instance, I'm looking at ways of embedding it into a sub call for ECL, right? And But providing it in a way that the ECL developer never actually sees the secret. Um, it's just telling us what secret to use. And then you, you connect out and, uh, and so. Yeah, and there, then, is a pretty, there is a pretty um, strong trend there where you uh, try to, you, if you can, you keep secrets outside of the reach of the developers themselves or the, or the users themselves uh, right. as much as you can, right? Uh, that that um, gives you one more level of security if the user is compromised in some way or the, or the client right. application, there is no exposure of those secrets, right? So for, for us, I want to protect those layers. I want to know that there's system level that only our components can use. There's um, sys there's system secrets or Kubernetes secrets, let's call them, um, that um, are accessible by the um, ECL language itself. So, for instance, you can tell subcall use this secret, but you can't see it. But then there's secrets that are user level, right? That right. yeah, you can just get them and use them. Um, and uh, you know, there's various aspects I'm thinking through of all those levels. And then there's vault level secrets, which have the same three layers basically, right? You want to be able to get things for the vault for your component, to get them for your 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 plugins or your uh, functional you know system functions, and then for the user. So, um. so Tony, I think uh, this is plenty of content for what is already happening. But what's coming down the road? So, what's what what do you envision um, for ESP and, and HPCC in general for the next? Uh, uh, so, what what's coming when? 8.0 is released, so, or or beyond 8.0. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one of the other um, projects I've been working on is uh, streamlining our enterprise integration layer. Um, if you look at traditional sort of enterprise integration frameworks, and they're very heavy-handed. They're more about tying together, you know, every kind of service and 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 um, manipulating huge um, structures and processes, whereas Generally, um, in the ESP world, we know what the requests we're receiving from the client and what we need to send to the back end. But we need to integrate um, at the field level with things like security, account settings, um, logging, and, and things like that. And so we've got this streamlined process for enterprise integration where all of that stuff becomes scriptable. You can say, um, get, the, get, get the security settings for this user. Um, check the fields, see if anything they're asking for is invalid and abort the request if it is. Um, augment the request with information from the account settings so that Roxy knows how to process the, the um, request for that particular account, that particular user. Um, modify the, the response before it goes out to the um, goes out to the user and then modify and, and control the, the, the logging behavior on the 
uh, on the back end. But all of that stuff is, you know, I started to describe other other solutions out there. All that stuff is streamlined because we were always working with the request as it goes through. It, it, it um, we're, we're modifying the existing object rather than you know transform making huge transformations um, based on external interfaces. Um, we can really optimize it so that we we tweak it as it flows through our pipeline um, at various stages and. Um, it becomes a really efficient but flexible way, uh, scriptable way of integrating with our entire uh, environment, but um, doing it in a very uh, efficient way that uh, simply manipulates the object as it goes through. Well, certainly it seems to me that that would reduce the latency to do all of this. If you go to one of those um, big integration platforms, uh, which used to be um, called also workflow engines, uh, they tend to have lots of latency, many components that the request goes through or the, the, the message goes through until it gets transformed. Um, so this would really make it um, a lot, I would assume, a lot faster, a lot, a lot right. far lower latency and, uh, and um, uh, more streamlined. But the, the counterpart argument would be that is this um, something that requires changing the ESP code. So, do you need to get down to C++ to recode this, or is there a way to express these transformations in a high-level type of language in ESP? No, that, that's actually the, the kind of problem we're getting away from, right? That's the kind of problem we had in the past. So, all of this uses a, um, a transformation language that's optimized for, again, existing objects. And traditionally, and let's take XSLT as an example, right? You are building a, a, a new object and manipulating the incoming object, building something new. This language that we've created allows you to, first of all, look at all, look at all of the um, input sources, not just the request, but the security um, and other things. Call functions um, to check, if you, like, let's say there's not, there's something in security that isn't provided in the object already. You can make calls into the system to um, ask for more security information, ask for other types of information, or do custom kinds of manipulation that are HPCC specific to um, fields or to the request. So it, it's extensible in that way. We can add functionality to this language easily, but um, it allows you to you know, iterate over parts of the request. You know, let's say you have five records coming in, iterate over them, make, make um, check that they're not ask, asking or doing something um, that is uh, not, not allowed for this particular user. Add information to each record for Roxy if you wanted to. Um, you know, so that sort of manip manipulation. But all um, no C++ is purely using the scripting language. We can extend it. We can add methods that'll require C++. But then it becomes part of the public the, sorry, the uh, public um, uh, repository of, of functionality. So. So, so this gives you the ability to do, uh, as you said, in-place mutation of the object, of the fields That's in right. the object as it, as it comes through. But, uh, and maybe this is taking it too far from the, the original core of the discussion, but um, isn't the fact that uh, sometimes uh, these fields are not uh, uh, strongly typed a potential problem? Because you go there and you change some content in the field and then the field is no longer representing what you expected? Uh, so, 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 so uh, flexibility sometimes brings you also some risk. And uh, how is the equation they are managed? Yeah, field typing is an interesting conversation because uh, we've thought about a lot. I've thought about a lot in the past. 
And the fact is that we've benefited, we've mostly benefited from not having really strong um, field types in terms of this is exactly what a date looks like, right? Um, or this is exactly what this type of field looks like. It's, it's allowed us to put that interface into, think of it like you're interfacing plugins, right? And you want, you want to have maximized your support for various backends. It's the same thing with queries. If we're trying to use the same interface in front of several different queries or the same data structure, um, we want some flexibility there. But what the scripting but on the other hand, when you pass that information, that content in that field in a format that is in, or in a, or, or in a, outside of a boundary that was originally defined for the field, um, the uh, response, the the behavior of the other of the receiving part of that of that object might not be what you expect, right? Uh, oh, I expected a date, and uh, this is not a date. How do I handle it? Right, and and ECL in particular is not traditionally good at that sort of thing. But what the scripting actually does is it would allow us to start to say, okay, for this particular environment, this particular query, run this script, which has validation that's a little more specific. So the ESDL itself, the interface definition itself, is flexible, and we want it to be, so that we can plug in multiple things, but you can run one of these scripts that does some of that validation um, per configuration, per environment, per query. And you could say, well, I know that this query expects um, on a, a particular set of values for this field, let me make sure it's it's correct. Get it out, the, get the validation out of the way before we ever deal with any other you know layer. So this actually helps with that. This 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 particular enterprise integration scripting solution. Very good. This is great. This is great. Hey Tony, I think we. Uh, are, I don't want to make this too long for for the listeners, but this has been great. I. Uh, I really enjoy learning what's happening in the world of ESP. Sometimes uh, ESP is its own thing. So to me, something that's uh, out there, I need it, uh, but I may not know much about it, the internals. And, uh, and this is fascinating. Uh, and all of this development uh, seems to make things far easier. Uh, as I mentioned before, the argument that, well, ESP can be complicated because you need to drop down to C++ to change your functionality, that's no longer true. It's, uh, now it's a right. Yes, yeah. this, is, this is very cool. Yeah. And seeing that ESP is adapted very well to move into containers as well and, and supporting this cloud journey, that's, a, that's very useful. It's a, it's a good time. Yes, it is. It is. These are very good times. Yeah. So, Tony, thank you very much. And I really enjoyed it. I hope uh, the listeners enjoyed it as well as, as much as we did. And, um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Flavia. Thank you very much.